You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Cam with Boston Strongcast. I'm going to do uh, another solo episode today, but we're going to kind of give an update on a constraints-led approach in powerlifting. Uh, the USAPL Northeast Regionals just ended, and there were some situations there that kind of um, gave me some ideas on how to manipulate the training conditions to make them more relevant to competition. Um, I think, you know, Northeast Regionals was actually a... Um, it was a really good experience. So we had, we had 18 lifters compete. Uh, they all did they all they all did really well. We had some really big performances on that day, and of course, you know some not so great performances and stuff. But those were fewer and far between. Um, what I did notice though is at this competition they had national level judges. So a lot of the Lifters had never competed on a national stage before, so I think what happens is you get a lot of, at state and local meets, like we know that the the judging tends to be a little bit more lax. Um, I've seen this over over the years, um, and I'm sure other coaches and, and lifters have too. And for the first time, I you know, I think a lot of these lifters were getting onto a platform with a lot stricter judging. So you saw this a lot with like depth. Um, with the squats. So, leading into the meet, I had, there were three lifters competing for the first time, uh, and then quite a few who've never competed in front of judging that was going to be this strict. So, for three, about three weeks, uh, once I saw the judging assignments, I was... <laughs> I was like, oh shit, you know, we, we need to make sure that, you know... We're, we're competing to a high standard with, within the sport itself. So for about three weeks, I was really harping on, on everybody about this is what depth is going to be like uh, you know, at this competition. This is, this is what to expect. And we manipulated the training environment for that. Um, I'm going to use Kelly as an example because I literally just um, posted about it on, on Instagram. But So Kelly was one of the ones. She's competed at maybe three local meets before. And in, in the gym, when I'm watching them lift, you know, the the depth that Kelly is squatting to is gonna be different than the depth I'm gonna hold Kerry to. Um, so it's, it's always been fine. You know, I, I'm watching it, it's like, yeah, you know, it'll, it'll be fine for this state or local meet. But leading into regional, seeing the judging assignments, it was not gonna be fine anymore. So for three weeks, normally, you know, as much as I, you know, I, I don't think that periodization is necessarily the best way to be planning for training. Uh, I think it just, it just focuses on the things that we can measure and it doesn't really focus on the chaos and complexity of the human in general, the competition and all, and all of those things. But I, I typically start with, you know, a linear model. We start with fives, we run to ones, and we just adjust and, and make changes along the way based off of each individual lifter and what's kind of going on. So typically four weeks out from a meet, 
we'd be doing triples and then doubles and then singles and then a very quick taper where we kind of hit like around an opener on a squat and bench and and deadlift or, and whatever um so instead of doing this with kelly what we did is each week we ran singles i think we i'd have to go back and look but i think we started at like two plates on a squat and just uh, she she had double squat days at this point, so there was some variation she did first. She benched, and then when we came back to squats, it was singles with, like, two plates, uh, which for her is probably around 90%, and I would sit on the side and just watch her depth, and she would have to continuously adjust. The following week, we used 230 or 235, and we just did a bunch of singles. Same thing. The following week, it was like 240, 245. I think it was 240. We did that. Same thing. Just a bunch of singles. Me watching from the side. Me telling her when it was high. Me telling her when it was good. And, you know, the... I guess what we'll say is the con- the constraint that I was putting on her was I... I was the constraint. Having a side judge, judging your depth on every single rep, maybe making a mistake. So there were times where, you know, she'd rack the bar. I'd be like, Kelly, that's high. You got to take the next one lower. So then she'd have to take that same weight. And 240 for her is, you know, her best ever squat. She had hit 255 back in March, but it, it was pretty high. And 248 at the meet in April, which was a very hard third. So this is eight pounds behind what was a very hard third at her last competition. And she needed to make these adjustments. She needed to take my feedback. She needed to get under that bar in a few minutes and be able to squat it deeper. And she's doing this with very heavy weights. So I was comfortable going into the competition, opening her around, I think we opened around 100 kilos. Maybe a little bit more. Maybe it's around 226. So something that I knew that she could she could handle, no doubt, and uh, gain a little bit of confidence. But also, you know, something that I was comfortable with. I knew that she could adjust. If she goes out there, you know, nerves set in, and she gets red lights. We have practiced for that so many times that I, I would feel comfortable, even in that case, knowing Kelly and having the relationship I have with her, to be able to go up, to hit that second, and to be able to adjust. Maybe not fully up to a second, but moving up enough to put that third back on the um, back on the board. Uh, and we didn't have to do that. Kelly, you know, she went three for three on squats, um, hit her depth even. So she put that 253 on her back that she, um, hit, hit back in March, but it wasn't platform ready. And she was able to put it on a platform with very strict judges and, and she got the lift. Um, and she wasn't the only one I, I did this with. Uh, there were quite a few, uh, you know. Carrie was one of them, and the, the day didn't go as planned with Carrie, but her, her opener was fine. Second one, she cut a little high. Uh, she got two reds, one white. And then the third one, she just didn't stand up with, but she was able to, even though we had gone up, she was able to put it to depth and stand back up. Like, you know, the lifters were showing the ability to make those in-competition adjustments that needed to be made to give them an opportunity um, to get the lift. Um, Mike, Mike was another one. Had kind of a, a rough singles week leading in, leading into the competition. Uh, squats at the meet looked really good. First one, he got two whites and one red on his opener. But, it, you know, it was pretty light. 
So I told him, I was like, Mike, that's right there. Bury, bury the next one. And, you know, burying it and seeing what's there, it just kind of gives you an idea of what you can put on the bar. So he buries the second one, three whites, moved really well. I told him I was going to put a weight on his back that he hasn't hit in a long time. Um, and, you know, we had a little strategy with him. Like, if you unrack and you just don't feel like you can come up with it, try to put it where your first one was uh, and make them make a decision. Don't just bury it and miss the lift because that's an easy call for the judges. Like, at least if, if you can put it around the ballpark of depth, there's a chance you might get two whites. Um, so he, he unracked it. And, you know, I think the thought of how it had felt in training, you know, kind of creeped into his mind a little bit. Uh, so he brings it down. I was on the side. It was really close. I probably would have given it a white light. Um, and he got, he got two reds, one white from a side, one red from a side, and a head judge given depth who wasn't even down looking at depth slouched in a chair, which is inappropriate. Um, but he did what he needed to do, and in the majority of cases, a, a head judge is going to give a white light on that. You're going to get two whites. You know, it gives you the opportunity to get a lift. Whatever. He put it close. It was a no lift. Nothing you can complain about. I mean, that's a, a consequence you're willing to accept under those circumstances. But, you know, even though Kelly was the only one in that situation that got the third, like, the ability to make those in-competition adjustments is extremely important. The skill of competing in this sport, I think is often overlooked. Um, so one of the things that I was thinking about afterwards, you know, it's not even, you know, with, with getting Kelly ready for stricter judging and kind of a bigger stage and all of those things. Like one of the things that I, I wasn't thinking about at the time, it was just like, I, I saw that who the judges were and what it was going to be like. And I just kind of reacted and, and made a call. But these are things that we probably should be doing more often. Um, if I had a guess at regionals, there were maybe 12 bomb outs, most with depth. And you'd see somebody go out there. They take their first squat, get red lights for it. They go out there, take their second squat, put in the exact same spot, get red lights for it. They go out there and take their third squat, put it in the exact same spot and get red lights for it. Like these are, you know, and the, this is a great lesson for a newer lifter to learn that like, you know, you got to play to the judging a little bit at times and you got to understand how they're calling it. And you got to be able to make these adjustments. But if you're not prepared to make these adjustments, the first time that you're trying to do it is in a competition when nerves are high, pressure's higher, and it becomes extremely difficult. And this isn't necessarily like the lifter's fault. Like, yeah, just squat deeper. Like, it seems really easy. But under high level, high pressure, competition scenarios, that becomes a lot a lot harder to do. Um, and it's something that I feel we should probably prepare for more in competition. And I think, you know, you hear, I've heard lifters complain in the past about, oh, I was ready to go out there and I got held up because they had a clean the platform or clean the bar or they loaded the bar wrong. And like, there's no excuse for somebody to miss a rep because you huffed your ammonia a little bit too soon. You needed to get slapped on the back and hyped up by your fucking squad of six people that are in the back with you. And then all of a sudden they tell you to hold up and then you can't replicate that same 
that same internal feeling of, oh yeah, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to go do this. That's a sign of mental weakness and it's a sign of a, a low skill of competing. But it's also a sign of a lack of preparation. So one of the things that, you know, I've talked about in the past, you know, with constraints, there are three of them. You have the individual themselves, right? Some of the things you can't really change and some of these things are going to change over time without you really being able to control how that happens. So like their anatomical build, their bone structure, right? Over time, you know, I've had quite a few lifters who've gained weight over time. Like you're just going to end up lifting a little bit differently as you put on muscle mass, as you gain weight. Um, so there are things that you can't really control, but that's a constraint. Also they're like within that, their psychological state, right? Their emotions, their beliefs, their expectations, their past experiences. Those are all a part of that individual. You know, the, another one, the one that we changed the most that I've talked about the most is a task constraint. You know, so this is where variations come in. You're using variations to punish certain inefficiencies uh, and hopefully kind of guide them to more efficient technique that allows them to lift more weight. Um, in a lot of cases, the constraint within the task is the actual weight used. Um, you know, I, I've used variations that don't typically punish the inefficiency until we get a certain weight on the bar. So we'll lift it heavier until they figure it out. Um, and then environmental constraints. So this is one that like, I think often gets overlooked in the sport of powerlifting because you can't really control your environment as much. Um, you know, for us, like I focus a lot on the sociocultural pieces of the environmental constraints with how I manage the group, but you know, the temperature within the gym, the gym itself, it's not like you're competing out in the rain or sleet and snow and it kind of just is what it is but the environmental constraints that we need to pay attention to are within the competition itself so putting lifters in high pressure situations that they are going to face on a day-to-day -day basis in not on a day-to-day -day basis but in a in each competition can only prepare them to compete better um, you know, for us, we lift heavy very frequently. Uh, I do this for one because I think creating an emotional response with the weight on the bar and teaching the athletes how to handle that emotional response, like when they're nervous and anxious and it's a, a weight they're not 100% sure that they're going to hit, I think helps increase their competition skill. And it's something I see in competitions now. The ones who used to be nervous are no longer nervous. Nobody's scared of missing reps. Um, so a good piece of this. Uh, so Daniel had a as bad of a training block leading into regionals as anybody could have going into a meet. Not only was he starting to see downward trends in performance, but on singles week, he missed all of his singles. Um, we were pulling sumo leading up into the competition because that's just what he's always pulled for, for his competition lift. Um, but he couldn't even budge his last warm-up before his top set one day in the gym. I'm like, Daniel, when was the last time you pulled conventional? And he said it was like three or four weeks ago. His best ever pull is 507. So I was like, what did you hit? And he says, single, 495 with bands. Go back down, work back up. Let's, let's see what's there. So this is why it's important 
to have a wide array of skills within a sport that people just deem as not being a skilled sport. You know, maybe within, you know, I get a, a clean and a jerk and a snatch that they're extremely technical, but powerlifting just requires you to have more skills because skills follow a nonlinear process. There's going to be progressions, but there's also going to be regressions. And when one skill regresses, you better have another one to be able to step up, take over for it, and allow you to compete at a, at a high level. So like in sports, you know, I think I used, I used this example in a conversation with somebody, but you know, I think Ben Simmons of the Philadelphia 76ers and the NBA is a perfect example of this. So fills up a stat sheet, but doesn't have a doesn't have a good jump shot. He's a he's a guard who's attempted one three pointer in his entire NBA career, I think. And this year was the first year that he had he had done that. At some point, if you're playing somebody who stops you from getting to the basket, you're gonna have down performance days, right? And so, like a lot of the analysts on TV talk about him not having a jump shot is why the Philadelphia 76ers didn't go to the NBA Finals. So he needs to develop that skill set so that when they lock down the paint, he can actually still score and still produce for for his team. And then that pulls them out of out of the paint and he should be able to to continue doing his thing. It makes him a, a better athlete. Powerlifting's very similar. Daniel pulled sumo. It wasn't going well. What are you gonna do? Just keep pulling sumo and just shrug your shoulders and be like, hey, I guess that is what it is. You know, and don't get me wrong, there are going to be times where your strength goes down and you're not going to PR on the platform, but those times can be far less if you build a big skill set. So we worked back up. Daniel hit 515. It was pretty hard in the gym, but, you know, first time pulling conventional in about a month, and he hit a PR. All right. You know, we know the strength is there. Let's go to the meet and just, every, you know, take every day as it is. So we get to the competition. Daniel's opener looks kind of heavy. His second doesn't look great, but doesn't look bad. It looked like he's, you know, starting to gain a little bit of momentum. I asked him, I was like, how did that feel? And he could just, he's like, ah, he just doesn't want to, like, expect anything. So, you know, we had a very quick talk, and I was like, Daniel, I'm going to put a weight on the bar, and you're either going to sink or swim. But because we spent so much time in that training block when things weren't going well, talking and building mental resiliency and just accepting the downs and training hard through the downs. Daniel ended up going nine for nine and PRing all three of his lifts. So he, he, he had a, as bad of a training block as you could possibly have. And then as good of a meet as you could possibly have, like all leading up into the same thing. So creating that emotional response on the barbell is an extremely important aspect of training in my, in my opinion, because it harnesses your ability to compete because when those, when that weight is heavy and it's not going how you plan, it's easy to compete and to get after it and be confident under, under weights when things are going well. But to learn to compete when things aren't, that, that's what builds huge totals over time and that's what builds elite athletes. Elite athletes have an innate ability when things aren't going well to dig down deep, push certain pains aside, and be able to push harder and come out of and come out of those holes. You you cannot do that if the mind is not strong. The body will not be able to compete in those situations if the mind is weak. So building up Daniel's emotional responses allowed him to compete extremely well. And Daniel, this is only his third meet. 
his first one, I was surprised at how nervous he was. His second one was a lot better. And then this one, like, you know, it's easy to not be so nervous like at Daniel's second meet. It's easy for him not to be nervous because training couldn't have gone better. I mean, the kid put like 50 pounds on his squat. Uh, his bench was moving. His deadlift, same thing, like put a bunch of weight on it. And he had a, you know, a huge meet. But like I said, things were going really well. And then... Because this sport is going to follow nonlinear trends, things weren't going very well. And he had to learn how to compete under those situations. And what you saw was he went into a competition, he was mentally strong, and he was able to, to get out some PRs on each one of those lifts. And uh, you know, I think that's really important. So we've done a pretty decent job, I think, of setting up a training environment in which the lifters need to need to compete and where they learn how to deal with their emotions and we I think get similar emotional responses in the gym that we do in in competition I think that's extremely important um, I think we can also do better so one of the things that I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing in the gym is more of what I was doing with Kelly leading up into the competition is just creating high pressure competition type scenarios in which the lifters are gonna have to respond. And in the gym is gonna be the time to fuck up. You know, like, I'm, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure there were times where I was standing on the side of Kelly, she squatted high, racked it. Kelly, that's high, you gotta drop the, the next one lower. She would unrack the next one, and I'm sure there were back-to-back -back squats like that. But the gym is the time to fuck those things up and to, you know, really iron out those details so that when you get into a competition, so like for us, like you feel pretty shitty in training. You're going to, you're going to feel banged up and, and tired, not just physically, but emotionally exhausted from trying to hit those, those higher weight sets all the time. But those are opportunities. Like your mind is just like your muscles. You stress it enough, it is forced to adapt. So I am not a big, big believer. I mean, obviously you got to be smart, but I have a lot of, I have strong relationships with my lifters. We have a lot of communication um, over time, over, over training. A lot of it's real time. A lot of it is me helping them make decisions in training. But I am not a big fan just because you're emotionally exhausted of pulling back. That's not necessarily the, the best means of attacking training at times. I want you to be sore. I want you to be tired. I want you to not feel like coming into the gym. And then you come into the gym and then you gotta learn how to deal with those emotions and still be able to compete to the best of your abilities on that given day. And to me, that is the, that is the skill of this sport. It's learn, that's learning how to compete because you're not always gonna feel great on competition day. Now, don't get me wrong. If somebody has some nagging things and they're far out from a meet, we'll adjust as needed. But hopefully we'll find a position that they can train in and, and still get those same things. So if we just constantly pull back every time training gets a little emotionally rough for somebody, we're, we're not forcing them to adapt to the, to the stressors. Their mind is just not going to adapt. 
it'd be like, oh, you know, I have doms from my day one squat, so I'm not going to deadlift for the rest of this week. I'm, I'm going to just hit some hit some bodybuilding type stuff and, and move on. That's, that's not going to yield high level results. And I think there's a lot of life skills to be taught. Like sports have been a part of my life since I've been five years old. They, you know, all the way through college, over 10 years after college, and then... After I stopped with those sports, I picked up powerlifting. So it's literally been a part of my life for over 30 years. And sports has given me the work ethic that I have, the drive that I have, being able to get out of bed when, I, when I'm tired, when I don't feel well, um, being able to compete when I'm sore. You know, it, it, it allows me to show up and give it my all. Every, every single day. And I think, and it's not just in the sport itself. It's it's in life. And I think there's a lot of important life lessons that can be learned here from a sport. You don't get paid for powerlifting, so you better be getting something out of it. And I think this is the thing that you can, you can truly get something out of it. But you need to push yourself and you need to be going into those those places that, that you don't feel great going into and you got to learn how to deal with it and you gotta learn how to compete under those situations and you know for us I ever since you know after nationals last year how we compete I mean the girls on day two in session one uh, I think I had how many did I have I think I had eight so out of the eight girls seven of them miss their third squats and these weren't like they weren't getting crushed by the squats either it was they started coming out of the hole and like there was it was hard but there was good speed what what i thought was decent enough speed like for a third attempt and then it would just get stuck halfway up and then they'd hold it there for like two seconds and then all of them were basically like this i mean it was crazy to see um but it didn't affect any of them. Like they were able to come out of those misses and be like, you know, damn, that was close on the bench. And then they all crushed their bench. And then they all came out and crushed their deadlifts. Like it just, it didn't allow a, a spiral like, oh, fuck, I missed, I, I missed my third squat. And then they sulk. And then all of a sudden it's time to warm up for bench. And they're not in the right frame of mind to start warming up for a competition bench press. Um, so... To me, like seeing those things and just seeing their ability to handle adversity and continue to compete, um, it, it's pretty cool to see. And that's only going to yield bigger results. And I, as a coach, felt more confident. I was far more aggressive with my attempt selections than I have been in the past. Out of those, out of those eight, there were maybe half of them that in the past I, I would have pulled back a little bit. Uh, on that third attempt, on those third attempt squats. But all of them were so close, and I don't regret putting that weight in the bar and giving them the opportunity to try to lift that weight on that platform. Um, and I knew that they could handle missing a weight. It wasn't about, like, they weren't concerned about PRing their lifts. They weren't concerned about PRing their totals. They were only concerned about the one problem that was in front of them, and that was that squat. And when they didn't solve that problem... They were able to move on very quick and deal with the next problem, which turned into bench and turned into deadlifts, which ended up turning into total PRs anyways. Um, so that part was pretty cool to see. Um, some of the things that I've really been 
thinking about in training, you know, just trying to pay attention to like what I'm seeing in the competition and stuff like that. Um, you know, is perhaps we have a few lifters who, who might huff ammonia occasionally in the gym and stuff. Some of them were doing it too much and I had to take it away. Uh, <laughs> but they're, they're having fun. And I know like certain people will be like, you shouldn't be huffing ammonia in the gym. That that's for, that's for me. So you're going to, you're going to burn yourself out that high level stress. You can't do on a day to day basis. Like whatever, like we're having fun. Everybody's having fun. Nobody's getting burnt out. Um, that's a bullshit narrative based off of nothing real. Uh, but a few of them, I did take it away because they were just doing it, doing it too much. Um, so perhaps, you know, for those who do, if they huff a cap, they're approaching the bar, just interjecting, stopping them, telling them they got to, you know, unwrap their wrist wraps, wrap them right back up, get under the bar and actually hit that weight. Um, there are other things I've done in the past, like no music, no caps, uh, you know, stuff like that to try to change their mindset a little bit. But I think having these like real high level competition style pressure situations and handling them in the gym will be really important. You know, like they, they might take their single and be like, Hey, that was high. You got to start your clock five minutes. You got to get under that bar. And then there's another thing, right? Like when we're training, we always go and take a set when we're ready. At a competition, you do not take that, that attempt when you are ready. You are told at all times when you're going to lift. This includes warm-ups up through the actual um the actual attempts. So one of the things I'm going to start putting in training is you're not going to go when you want to go. You're going to go when you're told to go. Um, and I, I think that's really important to do. I mean, that, that's not going to be all the time. That'll be for our, you know, certain situational stuff. And I, th I think that's an important part to, to pay attention to. Um, there are going to be times where I think I'm going to force people to take bigger jumps. Hey, you know, something got fucked up in the flight. You're five out. This is going to be your last warm up. This is your opener. You got to handle that bigger jump, right? It's not going to be weights that I know that they can't handle, but it's going to be stuff that creates an emotional response. It's going to rush them a little bit. They're not going to take it on, on their own time. And it's not going to be the ideal situation and learning how to train in less than ideal situations, I, I think is going to be a very big part of how we handle emotion, uh, environmental constraints moving forward. Um, I think we have a very good handle on the task constraints, uh, you know, the individual constraints. So like my conversations with Daniel, like I understand I'm not putting something in place, place to like force them to do these things. Like they need to learn it on their own through me guiding them. But we dealt with those, those psychological pieces, um, with those conversations. And he's not the only one. We, we all do this. The group, the group even helps with this, um, typically too. So what, you know, how, how I'm going to actually like create this environment and the logistics of it and stuff. I'm still kind of like working out in my head, but we're going to start it right away. And it'll be one of those things that like, I'll just go by a feel within the room and just kind of like call things out, do things like that. And like, we'll, we'll gain some momentum with it. We'll iron out some details and kind of just, just create those same like high pressure situations. And I'll tell you right now how we train 
like coming in and hitting, you know, something that's between an eight and a half and a, I'm joking around in an email, 9.9, uh, every single day in the gym, it's fucking hard. It really is. Uh, I don't know of many other, uh, lifters that train in a similar way. Like our, our style is probably more like weightlifting than it is like powerlifting. I, I, something I didn't even like realize until recently. Um, so I've kind of developed, a an interest in how weightlifting coaches do the, do their thing. Um, just because it seems like I follow along that track a lot more. But, you know, it's already hard, and now they're going to have to do those sets under higher pressure uh, than what they're used to. Not, I'm not going to force them to do this every single time in the gym. I think that's too much. But there'll, there'll be certain situational stuff that I think we'll do once a week, whether it's just with squats, whether it's, you know, squats and bench, squats, bench, deadlift. Like, you know, those, those things will work out. Uh, but we'll, we're going to create a lot more of those high-pressure situations. So... It's going to get even more difficult, and I'm okay with that. I, I think training should be hard. It should be harder than what you deal with in, in a competition. Uh, I just, you know, I think we latch on to, you know, measuring. We're very, very good at measuring the physical, the mechanical stuff. It's, you know, well, you did this much volume in, the, in this block, and... If we add more volume, you'll get stronger. It's great. Maybe you did get stronger. It works a lot of the times. But if you can't compete and put it on the platform, what does it fucking matter at the end of the day? Like, I, I'd rather, you know, I view training as we're practicing the sport. So we want to practice as close to the competition that we're, that we're going to see. You know, like, I, I just try to think of, like, you know, when I was playing soccer, like leading leading up into um, games and and even like through college, it was always you always were practicing game type situations. So whether this was in small sided games, this was you know three v twos, two v threes, small you know in small areas. Um, you know, other constraints being being placed on it. You know, maybe you can only touch the ball twice. Like, these were instrumental in performing on the, on the field. Like, if, if you're outnumbered in a small space with limited touches, that's really fucking hard. It's really hard to touch it once and get rid of the ball when there's more of them than there are of you and you you know you're being forced to like really pick up what everybody's doing in a much much faster manner and then all of a sudden when you're out in a game and you have more space your decision making everything is just slower and easier and like and to me like those things always held like some of the highest carryover into like my actual performance and I don't think powerlifting is that different like I know it's not a field or team sport but you know to me it's just it's not a lot different you're there are a lot of things in competition that just don't get trained on a daily basis in the gym and it leaves, leaves lifters less prepared for their actual competitions and I think we, we can do better there. And I think over time, like those ones that get better at competing, they just get better because they competed so often or they, they have so much experience. Um, and there are good coaches that, 
that set up a nice plan for their lifters on competition day. But I, I love having the opportunity to quote Mike Tyson. I don't know why. But everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face. And, you know, with a lot of lifters who are just used to normal state and local meets, got punched in the face a little bit when they went out there uh, into a more competitive atmosphere with stricter judging and multiple platforms and a lot of noise and it's 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 very different it's a very different experience and i saw a lot of people who just had an inability to handle it and that's that to me is a good learning experience for the coach and something that we can just institute more of in training now the problem with it is is i don't think a lot of people will want to institute something like that in training because of dogmatic beliefs within the sport. Like most people are scared to lift heavy more frequently and you need X amount of volume because somehow all these coaches Excel spreadsheets have figured out the optimal volumes for every lifter that comes in front of them. And like, it just, you know, you have to be willing to get rid of your dogmatic beliefs to be able to train in competition style pressure. And I'm not sure. Many others are willing to do that, but I'll tell you right now, I am one of the ones that I am 100% willing to do this with that group. And like, I think you can lift heavier more often. It just requires you to pay more attention as a coach. And it puts a hell of a lot more pressure on the coach. Um, You know, for me, I have, you know, 50 odd lifters. I am the one who takes the brunt of their emotional responses. Whether they're ups or downs, they're dumping it all on me and it gets extremely tough on the coach. And like I always um, I always stress to all of them that we need to train with consequences, right? Whether it's a variation that punishes your inefficiency and you miss lifts if you try to lift in a way that I don't want you to lift. Um, There's consequences to that. There's consequences to lifting heavy. Like you may not get this weight because it is heavy. There's consequences to me putting them in the driver's seat. They have to make those decisions. And those decisions, right, it's, it gets really hard because it's like, oh, I wanna hit this next week or I hit this last week so I should be able to do this, right? And sometimes you're not gonna be able to do that. And when you're not going to be able to do that, there are emotional consequences to that because you need to be okay with having days in the gym that you're not lifting as much as you expected to lift going in. And that's gonna happen more frequently than you like, especially with how hard we train because you're gonna be mentally and physically tired coming into the gym. Um, but you need to learn how to be confident under those situations and to compete. But there are consequences to training like that. I, if you turn, if you flip that that script a little bit, I feel coaches need to coach with consequences as well. Like that's how we learn, and that's how we're able to progress as coaches. So, you know, for for me, I'm putting weight. You know, I'm telling people to to push their performance and you know when they get mentally tired they take it out on me at times like because it gets frustrating we train with high levels of frustration and I'll tell you from a business model perspective I don't think there's one big business doing well out there that their their number one um, 
the number one thing that they're trying to do is to frustrate their consumers. And that's literally what I'm doing. I'm frustrating my consumers. And, you know, you hope that they, <laughs> that they don't quit um, when you do this. But there are consequences. And you know what? Each one of those consumers, they're going to be aware of every up and every down that they have in training because we're training closer to to maximal. And you know what? And like, I think people misunderstand when I say, you know, we train heavy. We train between an eight and a half and yeah, sometimes it gets up to a 10, but I don't put a 10 on the sheet. They have that range. If they feel, re they feel really good and they want to push something and they want to grind out a rep in the gym on that day, by all means, do it. Because again, that's training for the competition. If the first time you're ever expected to grind out a rep is gonna be your third attempt, chances are you could have grinded that rep out and got that lift on the platform, but you've never practiced it enough. You don't know what you're capable of. So you end up dropping it way too soon. Um, so I am okay with that stuff. But they also, on a day they don't feel good, maybe they just work up to a nine. Like, you know, and they think that's all that's there, that's there for the day. But that's fine. You know, and, you know, at the end of the day, if we're working up to a nine or a nine and a half, it is still sub-maximal weights. Like a true 10 is maximal effort, right? Your second attempt at a meet is technically sub-max weights. So, you know, to me, we're practicing the sport. It only makes sense to have that intensity there. Doing sets of 10 in a sport that you have to do one really heavy just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but if that's what you do and that's what you want to do, by all means, continue continue to do that. Um, I just got, got myself fired up and I don't even know where I was going, where I was going with that whole thing. Um, but I thought, you know, just some closing thoughts. I'm going to view training even more so as practice for the sport and take into consideration a lot of the things that I saw happen at regionals. And you, you know what? I think regionals was an extremely well-run meet. Um, I love the fact that there's an option for some of these newer lifters to get on a stage with national level judges that are going to be more strict and they're going to uphold the rules of the sport to a a much better standard um you know it was an extremely quality meet and quality experience for all of the lifters doing that um and what i liked as a coach is being able to watch that and it highlighting some of the inefficiencies in how people train to prepare for a competition because that's what training is at the end of the day you train to prepare for a competition and it's not just about your volumes and your intensities and your Excel spreadsheets. There's a lot of things that happen in competition that that people just were not prepared for. Um, and the fact that you know, I'm I'm happy that as a group we we were prepared for, it and I think we did things extremely well. But seeing other lifters and being able to watch, you know, because there are a lot of lifters at a meet like this and being able to see some of the things that were highlighted there and some of the things that, you know, I wouldn't have even thought of beforehand. So, you know, having them, having their errors highlight stuff that we can do better is always, always a win, always a win-win because, you know, in a lot of cases, I feel I'm learning lessons from my lifters not doing not doing something well um you know and that that kind of sucks of course um 
But, you know, if you want to follow along, I'm sure I'll post about some of the stuff that we're doing in the gym. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's KWCAN, our team, Precision Powerlifting Systems. Stay strong, Boston.